Code Fund Podcast Network. This is Chaos Cast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health. Elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash chaos. On the panel today are Don Foster, open source community strategy lead at VMware, chaos board member and maintainer. Hello, everyone. Matt Broberg, technical editor for opensource.com at Red Hat and maintainer of the Chaos Value Metrics Working Group. Hey, everybody. Matt Germanprey, professor, Chaos co-founder and board member and co-lead of the Chaos Project. Hey, everyone. And myself, Georg Link, director of sales at Viturgia, Chaos co-founder, board member and co-lead. Hi, everyone. Joining us today are three amazing maintainers from the Chaos Augur Project. Sean Goggins, professor of computer science at the University of Missouri, Chaos co-founder and board member. Hello, hello. Carter Landis, senior at the University of Missouri studying computer science. Hey, everyone. And last but not least, Gabe Heim, senior at the University of Missouri studying computer science. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us. So Sean, Gabe, and Carter, thanks for joining. It's really great to have all of you from the Augur team here. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what Augur is and also how Augur is an integral part of the chaos project. Sure, I'll take a first stab at that. Matt, this is Sean. We are essentially focused on prototyping the metrics that are developed by the chaos project and experimenting with metrics that may someday become part of the chaos project through a sophisticated set of tools that gather and collect data into a single relational database from dozens of different sources, including issue trackers, Git repositories, mailing lists, and the like. I think Gabe might be able to explain a little bit about our architecture for doing that. Yeah, for sure. So Augur has a lot of different moving parts that all work together to be able to provide everything we are wanting to give. And so one of those pieces is our front end, which while it it doesn't show everything that we have to offer, it's a good way to get an exploratory first glance at what we are able to provide. And we also have many data collection workers that are hosted inside of Flask apps, and they are able to collect data from many different data sources, such as the GitHub API, 
GitLab in the future, and we're able to compile all that data into our unified Postgres data model. And we also post an API using Gunicorn, where um, we use SQL and Pandas to organize data in particular ways that we think are useful. An example might be like if someone wants to know the first response times for all their pull requests. You know, that could be a metric that we'd provide on our API. Um, and all these different parts work together to make up Augur as a whole. Carter, I'm, I'm curious to ask you, I'm not a host, but just to explain a little bit about some of the things that you've helped us accomplish recently getting Augur to be really easy to install and run and configure. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. So one of the things that I've really been focusing on these past few weeks is really enhancing the installation experience for Augur in a couple of key ways. The first of which is really streamlining and refining our installation process, our installation commands. So that's the commands that you run when you clone Augur from source and you want to get started doing your own data collection. I've tried really hard to make that process as smooth as possible from the documentation to robust error handling to trying to avoid certain terms that might be confusing to newcomers. I want Augur to be as welcoming a place for new open source contributors as it can be. I think it's really important to have a really solid installation experience because if you can't get the project installed, you can't see how awesome it is. So that's one thing I've been really focusing on. And then the other thing I've been focusing on for people who want to get started with Augur as fast as possible, but maybe don't have the technical knowledge to completely install it from the source code, have a particular use case to get really started really fast, or they just don't want to bother with the source code installation. I've also been working really hard, and I can talk more on this later down the road. I've been working really hard on providing Docker images for all of the different applications, all the different parts of Augur's architecture, so that uh, somebody who's familiar with Docker can get started collecting data using our tool in as little as three or four commands on the command line. And that really, I think, will go a long way in accelerating getting started with Augur. Yeah. And can one of you also talk more about how people are using Jupyter Notebooks with Augur? I think Gabe would have a good explanation of that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So in our, in our Postgres database, we have a lot more data than we are currently showing on our front end or even in our metrics API than what we are actually able to show with all the data we have from all these different sources. So people come to us occasionally, community managers or um, people like Don in particular has been asking us unique questions that maybe we haven't gotten before, but we can answer with our data. So we've taken an approach of using uh, Jupyter Notebooks to be able to dig deeper into these questions and format data in new ways and experiment with some visualization libraries to get a better insight into some of these more specific questions that people have, such as how has response time on their issues or pull requests changed over time and uh, things of that nature. So I have, a, I have a question. One thing that came up in your introductions several times was a design decision that is really interesting to me. 
And that is that you have a unified Postgres database, a single relational database. And I know looking at open source communities, everyone uses different tools. They have different data formats when you pull data from those tools. And so I, I was just curious to learn a little bit more about why you decided to go for a single relational database and what challenges you did or did not face in unifying the data from all the different platforms that open source communities are collaborating on. So we made that decision as part of the re-architecting of Augur. Initially, we, and that was in early 2019, initially we used some available data from I forget the name of the repository. I believe it was GHTorrent was the GH data torrent, we right? Using. So we use GHTorrent pretty heavily, and we just updated that every month. And then we uh, used a tool called Facade that was written by Brian Warner of Samsung at the time, now at the Linux Foundation, for counting all the commit information that's in a Git repository. And there, there's two reasons that we went with a singular relational database in our redesign. One is my background is understanding the provenance of electronic trace data and using it to make estimations with data triangulated from talking to people about what's really happening in a community or how do the actions that are in trace data like commits or issues reflect the health or sustainability or conversation of of different kinds of communities. So I've looked at a lot of different ones. And one of the challenges that has been pretty consistent is that few tools really give you any idea about the provenance of the data and don't do anything to assure you of the completeness of what you've collected. So the reason we went with the relational database is because we can use it to, first of all, enforce rules about relations. So we can't import messages from pull requests if we don't have the pull request. We'll get errors and notice that something is wrong. Uh, the second thing that we can do that I think is really important is understand by looking at the database itself, how to write queries that validate what we've collected and its completeness against the original source. And that's something that we actively do in the background when we're checking instances. And that kind of validation is difficult to accomplish outside of a structured database environment with some kind of rule set. So I'm not saying relational is the only technology that does that, but that's why we, we went with it. Sounds like a really interesting value proposition, like to know the completeness of a data set, because we all know that, you know, cherry picking some portion of data can lead to some very skewed opinions and results. Is there a given audience that like this really hits home for? I'm seeing like the primary use case being like, just the complexity of running like a GitHub organization or GitLab organization where there are a ton of repositories and a lot of traffic. Are, are you finding like a kind of community managers and open source space being a primary use case or, the, or who's your audience? Folks, yeah, the folks who have used Augur most extensively are either open source program office managers or open source community managers. And the, yeah, that tends to be our main audience. And one of the installation improvements that Carter spoke of earlier with the Docker configuration is intended to make it relatively easy for a community manager who may not even have a big technical background, but can figure out how to download Docker to get an instance of Augur going to manage the 12 or 30 repositories that they're concerned about. 
Cool. So Gabe or Carter or, or Sean, can you tell us what some of the, the key wins were during the development of Augur or some of the, the successes you had along the way that you thought really worked well? I I know Gabe and Carter will think of a few that, that are important to them. I, I think just getting it going was was an accomplishment in and of itself because we we had the chaos project, we had metrics defined, and there were some really good tools out there. And we wanted to be able to prototype the metrics more quickly. So, you know, getting that launched, I, I think at first was was a big win. I think another big win is the way that Augur has been able to continuously improve and advance. And there have been a half dozen occasions where people had questions that they couldn't answer with other tools because the uh, different tools don't collect all of the data that we do. We have some we have some things with regards to pull requests and issues that aren't collected by default by other tools, or it's a little bit more complicated. So, I think. I think some of the big wins we've had have been helping organizations, open source organizations, answer questions that are really important to them, but haven't yet worked their way back into being chaos metrics, but I think some at some point will. Carter or Gabe? Yeah, so I would say one of our biggest wins during the lifeline of the project was building this unified data model and also flushing out and making sure our data collection system was as refined as possible because and this was quite a feat to accomplish because it took us an entire summer and even some months during during the school year to design the schema there was many many whiteboard meetings and how our data collection architecture was going to work and it was a really big deal for us because previously when we were using external data sources we were constantly doubting the validity of the data and we wanted to make sure all the data was correct and we could actually be providing something quality. So refining our data collection system has been a big one for us, I would say. Yeah, and I want to give a huge shout out again to Sean and Gabe for taking the lead on that last summer. I was working an internship at the time, so I wasn't super involved at that. But when I came back, I was like, man, y'all did this in... How many months? It was it was really cool. It was really, really cool. One thing that I, I want to mention is, so at the Open Source Summit North America in 2019, we did, uh, that was the first time that we had really demoed that version of Augur to anybody outside the project. It was still in a very rough stage. And we got a lot of good feedback. A lot of the feedback was, this is really hard to use because it, it just was. We hadn't spent time working on, you know, making the installation better and explaining things clearly and, and refining the process. And so that was a really big takeaway from that event. And we worked really hard over the next couple months to really, you know, refine the installation process at the first step. And then uh, actually, Sean, another member of the team, and myself got to go to Grace Hopper in Florida in October. And we got to participate in the open source day there. And there were a couple people who had never contributed to open source before, whose first contribution was to Augur. And one of the things that came away from that event was a lot of them said that the installation experience was, it was pretty good. Like it was a lot better than it, it had been, that they felt it was pretty easy to follow. And so that was something that I was really proud of. I thought was really cool is being able to go from a place of, it's pretty hard to get started with Augur if you don't already work on it, to people who have never contributed to open source before being able to sit down at eight o'clock in the morning 
and start working on it and by 5 p.m. have made a, a real contribution, added a metric, updated documentation for a real open source project, and that happened to be us. And I thought that was really cool and I was really proud of us for being able to pull that off. Those are all really great successes. Congratulations. Thanks. So could you talk about how Augur has been used in VMware's open source program office and and what that has has resulted in? Yeah, I can I can talk a little bit about that. So yeah, I basically run the community function at VMware in the open source program office. And when when I joined, so Pivotal was acquired by VMware. And when I moved into VMware, they put me in the open source program office. And I started looking at our open source projects and our repositories. And we had we had thousands of open source repositories across VMware, counting, you know, things from recent acquisitions like Pivotal and Bitnami and Carbon Black. Now some of those are inactive and we're probably gonna do something about that. But we still we have hundreds of open source projects that are actively maintained, that have, you know, a reasonable number of commits every month and are run by independent teams all across VMware. So one of the things that I needed from a metric solution was really something that was going to scale. So a complicated dashboard that requires a community manager to interpret isn't going to scale to the hundreds of maintainers that I have across VMware. So what I wanted was something that I could customize and focus very specifically on project health, where I could give people just a few dashboards that really focused in on the things that I wanted people to care about. And so that would include things like, you know, is the project sustainable? Are they keeping up with with contributions? So are they closing about the same number of pull requests that are being opened every month? Are they are they responsive? So are they responding within, you know, a couple of business days, which is our guideline for responses to pull requests? Are there enough contributors that if something happened to one of the contributors that the project would be able to sustain itself? And then to be able to run these across, like I said, hundreds of projects where I can take a look at it and flag projects that might, you know, might be at risk for, for not being healthy in the future. And that individual maintainers can go through and really easily see the areas where they're succeeding and maybe the areas where they can, where they can improve. And then, you know, and part of why I went with this solution was because I have a really deep focus on project health and I want people to get away from the leaderboards. And executives in particular, just a lot of them seem to love the leaderboards. They want to know, like, are we on the top? Are we the best? Are we the coolest? Are, you know, am I the biggest contributor to whatever? And, and that, doesn't, that doesn't say much about health. Like, those are, those are vanity metrics that I want, to, I want to avoid. Augur allowed me, because I could make custom database queries, I could run all this in Python scripts that just generate graphs that I can then, then show to people. So this allowed me to create a really a really customized solution based on just the stuff that I really wanted. That is awesome, Don. And as a fellow person that tries to report on large communities and is a little subservient to vanity metrics when need be, are you finding that is Augur the right tool for both exploring health and exploring kind of value through the, that perception of value at the executive level? Or is it more the health tool and you keep that other argument elsewhere? You know, it's really more of the it's really more of the health tool. And so I've I've actually been having this discussion a lot internally at VMware where people are like, oh, I want something more custom. I want to be able to deep dive into into a few projects. So we have a couple of really big strategic projects that have dedicated community managers. 
And so what I've been, I've been working with some of those community managers and trying to encourage them to use maybe some other tools or, you know, and because I'm kind of using Augur as sort of the project health tool. So maybe they want to use something that they can customize and deep dive into the project in. So I think like, you know, the needs are a little bit different. I want something simple that scales to hundreds of people, whereas a dedicated community manager focused on a very strategic project would probably need something a lot more than just the project health metrics that I've been pulling out. Yeah, I think one of the things we've excluded purposefully from the dashboard are metrics that say things about individual developers to to avoid that kind of leaderboard effect. And I think we have the data to do that kind of thing. A lot of data about the actual developers are in there, but it's not something that we focused on. It is something that people could use to create leaderboards. It's just that, you know, if an executive asks me if I'm the best, I say, no, I was not in the Ramones. And that is as far as that needs to go. So it's, I, I love, it's been great working with Don because we've learned a lot about the kinds of questions that open source program office managers want to understand. And all of that work is being rolled back into API endpoints and sort of standardized versions of some of the Jupyter notebooks so that we can share that with other people in a, in a more general way. Obviously, we, we can't throw a, a bunch of Jupyter notebooks out into a repository and say, good luck. But we're working on organizing a set of them from Dawn and from other places uh, so that they can make sense. Yeah, the Jupyter notebook approach in particular has been has been really helpful because it allowed me to explore the data and and look at things in different ways and kind of decide what I wanted. And then, you know, I feel like once I get something to, it it also helped us kind of share it. So I can, uh, I've I've spent a lot of time sending Gabe things and saying, "This, this query doesn't do what I think it does. Can you help me fix that? And the Jupyter Notebooks have been a really great way to explore that. Yeah. It's a quick, funny story how they came about. I was just sending people data dumps of the questions to answer the questions they had. And I ran across a community manager who didn't know what to do with that data dump. And so I had to use, I had to find something to use to create a visualization. Uh, and I picked Jupyter Notebooks and quickly found that I was in over my head time-wise and, and Gabe picked it right up and has been working with a guy named Andrew on our team to really make them do the things that Dawn and others in her role like to do. So working with VMware has been amazing and on. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to reiterate how Don's questions and consistent working back and forth with us has been able to get a much better picture of what people in roles like Don or other community managers, it helps us learn what people are looking for. So it helps us adjust our data model, what people want to see what new data to go after. So it's been a huge help working with Don and VMware and in planning our roadmap and for things to come next. Sean and, and Carter and Gabe, you know, stemming from these relationships that you have, for example, the one you just discussed with Don and VMware, what does this lead to next for Augur? How do these relationships change the roadmap for what Augur can be? Well, I think one thing that Gabe has had Andrew doing is is taking some of the frankly monstrous queries that we've written or I, I started writing. I like to be thorough. I think about things like, well, what if there was no data on that day and write that into the query? 
And so thank they, you that, for that, by the yeah. way. <laughs> so they end up being really long. And the answer, you can use the result to answer a ton of questions. And so Gabe's had Andrew breaking out the, this giant query into a, a series of much smaller, discrete endpoints that are going to become part of the API in augers. So, and then these endpoints are ultimately going to be things that we contribute back to the chaos project as metrics because they reflect questions that have been asked, but maybe haven't been defined as metrics yet in many cases. Carter, Gabe? So one part of Augur that has been very interesting, and I think people are really looking forward to it, is our data anomaly detection system. So we have one of our data collection workers is set up as an anomaly detector. So what we're doing is actually hitting our own endpoints on our API and running an isolation forest algorithm on these uh, time series metrics to try to point out things that a community manager may want to look into. And so, or anyone working with us, they would want anomalous events pointed out to them like, hey, this issue has been getting a lot more attention than other issues. Like maybe... I need to look into that. But there's obviously community managers have many projects to overlook all at the same time. So it's it can be tedious to go through each one of them and make sure everything's going well. So this new insight worker is uh, what we've been calling it. It's very exciting. And the anomaly detection parts of it are already completed and good to go. We are just currently actively developing how we can make it easy for these community managers to interact with these anomalies. So currently we're working on a Slack bot, which will be a Slack application where it'll send out these notifications as they're discovered in real time. And that's something that we are uh, hoping to provide soon to community managers who have a lot of things to overlook at once. That's really fun, Gabe. I think so many people live in Slack, you know, whether we want to or not. And this idea of like leveraging the best data that you're validating and, and sharing in through different interfaces where people are, that's so incredibly valuable. Well, and, and one of the, really the only reason we actually have it working. Uh, the only reason we haven't released it yet is because right now, if, depending on the number of repositories that you're collecting on, you could get hundreds of notifications a day of different kinds of anomalies. And I mean, they're all genuine anomalies and they can be controlled by looking at how many days do you train on? How many days back do you want to look for anomalies? These are all configuration pieces in the insight worker. But at the end of the day, if, if I'm in a role where I'm overseeing a whole open source program office and I have thousands of repos, I probably want to get Slack notifications on the 10 most anomalous events on a day. I don't want 300 Slack notifications about anomalies because I won't know what to do with that. Yeah, so, or it might be that we want to configure it so that we only get anomalous readings on certain repositories. So maybe I want all of the anomalous readings, but only on the 10 repositories that are most strategic for me as an organization, for example. 
That's a that's a great example. And I think that you can do that with the way we have it configured. Cool. So if our listeners on this podcast are interested in exploring Augur and trying it out and maybe even helping advance it, where would they go? And what would you recommend for them to start with? We're keen to have new contributors. We try real hard to be responsive to people who make a first issue contribution or a first pull request contribution. And I think I think before it might be easier to contribute an issue, for example. But I think now with all the work we've put into making Augur easy to install and having the documentation really, really well done and while not complete, com- complete enough to get most people off the ground, if they're a developer or not, I, I think we're keen to have People try to make contributions through pull requests to open issues, requesting features, and certainly to use Augur and tell us what works for you and when where you're having trouble so that we can continue to make it better. But I, I think one of the next phases for Augur is to make it, you know, not sort of, you know, right now we've got about eight or nine people working on it. So it's like arcade fire up on the stage. and we can't just keep doing a show like that, right? Like the the band gets tired. So we need to bring a community in around Augur that doesn't include just the folks who've been working on it so far. And, and we've had some success with the Google Summer of Code, having sustained contributions from a couple of our Google Summer of Code students from last summer. We're excited to be participating again this summer. And yeah, if someone wants to contribute, we, we welcome any and all types of contributions. That is really good. I do look at the Chaos Community dashboard where we keep track of the activity that is happening in the Chaos Project. And I can see people joining the Augur project and make contributions. I think your your code base has one of the largest number of contributors across the Chaos Project, which is pretty impressive, which... I know it's also a little skewed because of the background. Yeah. Like if you look at the the GitHub dashboard for contributions, I think think you'll see like eight or nine people who have made significant contributions over a sustained period of time. But we do get a number of what others I think called drive-bys where somebody just comes by and makes one correction, one fix. And, you know, we we love that kind of stuff because it, it helps make Augur better and so if you don't have the time to stay engaged, but you want to fix something and you know how, or you want to ask us to fix something and open an issue or change something or add something, that that's, I think, why the number maybe looks like it is so big. I think it's because Sean makes all of his students contribute. Oh, yeah, that helps. <laughs> that's, a, that's an easy A. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't make them contribute, actually, I. I do use Augur as an example of, a, of an architecture f- that, that they're likely to encounter in the work world. And I do make them install it. But I don't, think I, I don't think I've had a ton of contributions, actually, that end up in our main repository from students. I think most of the, the things that we get that might be skewed as a result of student participation would be issues or the number of clones. I know we get, I know we get cloned a lot. And it's probably not just a bunch of people cloning us. I think I can look at our clone statistics and see that there are 
Definitely. It's a steady stream in the 20s every day. And then when I have an assignment where they have to touch auger, it goes up by however many people are in my class. <laughs> Excellent. We'll, we'll put a link to the auger repository in the show notes. Excellent. And it is time for our picks. I'm going to kick this off. Picks are where we share something that has been valuable to us. And we will just want to share that. And for okay. me, it has been Anno 1800. It's a video game. And it has a cooperative mode that I've never seen in any other game just like it. So just to give you a little background, Anno 1800 is part of a series where you start out with a ship and you settle islands, you build up your economy. It can be very micromanagey. And in this new latest version, the co-op mode includes one where you can play with your friends as the same civilization. So you all control the same player. And I've really enjoyed this. I'm playing the same game with multiple friends at different times, and we're just moving the civilization forward. And it's been a lot of fun. I want to go next because mine's also gaming related. Go, go, go. Go for dovetail it. in. So my pick of the week is a Tabletop Simulator, which is available on Steam. And you can use it to play board games while you're social distancing with friends. So the friends that live down the road that we normally get together and play loads of games with, we've been playing with them on Tabletop Simulator. So this week we tested it all out. We played some Munchkin so that we could make sure everybody knew how to use it. But there are, there are hundreds of games that you can play. You can play almost any kind of game on Tabletop Simulator. So it's a really great way to play with friends over, over some distance. That's super fun. I definitely want to give it a go. Mine's a different kind of nerdy. I found that the it's cathartic to overly customize my laptop in isolation. So the latest tool that has helped me do that is called Finicky. It's a open source software. It's a, a little modification to uh, if you're running Mac OS that it, you set it as your default browser. And then you have a config file. It's a little JSON object where you can filter. Like if I'm going to Trello, open up Chrome. If I'm going to apple.com, open up Safari. And since I try to subscribe to different things and log into different apps and different profiles, it's really just felt perfectly micromanagey of my environment. So definitely recommend it. So my pick is to give a big thanks to the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation who's been instrumental in funding the Chaos Project since its inception. And also really excited to report the Sloan Foundation is going to continue funding of the Chaos Project through 2023. So I'm just super happy about that. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm also very excited about that, but that's not my pick of the week. You already took it. <laughs> well, what's yours, Sean? My pick of the week is a gentleman named Jordan Love who is a six foot four quarterback with an incredibly strong arm out of the University of Utah State that the Green Bay Packers chose in the first round of the NFL draft last night. So looking forward to when we have football again in 2021, Aaron Rodgers will be 38 and we're going to have a solid strong arm behind him. So that's my pick of the week. That's awesome. Fantastic. All right. I'll go ahead and share mine. My pick of the week was just sharing my experience of having a birthday during isolation this week. And while that's not, I don't get to do the traditional birthday things. It was actually very nice and special because 
I'm uh, quarantined back home in Dallas, so I got to spend a lot of time with my family. And I've also just recently gotten really into this show Money Heist on Netflix. I don't know if any of you guys have heard about it, but it is so addicting. And I just got to hang out online with some of my friends playing video games too. And it was just, you can still have a special birthday in isolation is the gist. Happy belated birthday. <laughs> by, by, by traditions not engaged, and I'll just mention Gabe turned 21. Yeah. Oh. That's right. So, Very cool. Uh, How about you, Carter? So I have, it's kind of a combined pick. The first one is to bring it back to the tech stuff. I've been rewriting our metrics API, both the documentation and its structure. There just are some things that need to be updated. And I found a really awesome library for converting what's called an open API specification to Sphinx documentation. And Sphinx is the tool that we use to generate our documentation. And so this open API specification is actually a, it's another Linux Foundation project. And so defining our API standard in this, in this way, it, it's really nicely formatted. It follows a bunch of conventions. Converting it to documentation is super painless. And so I was really happy that I found that because I had been really I've been looking for a long time for a new solution for API documentation. So I was really happy that I found that. And then I also found this album called Room to Breathe by an artist named Low Hum that I've been uh, really, really enjoying recently. So I wanted to just mention that as well. And those are my two picks. Excellent. Thank you very much for sharing. And this wraps up our episode. Matt Broberg, you doesn't do an amazing spiel to end the episodes. You want to go ahead? Oh, you're too kind. Happy to. Thank you for listening, everyone. We're always happy to have you here. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe in whatever your favorite podcatcher is. And you can find us online at The Chaos Project and also go to chaos.community to visit more and learn about our project. Please uh, join and participate in any and all channels. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Thank Thank you you all. Thanks, y'all. Bye, gang. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode, with 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage options, and next-generation network. Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com chaos.